Thank you for tuning in to the BPL podcast. I'm so excited to bring you this first episode after our hiatus. I'm Leanne, your host and the programming librarian at Bexley Public Library. On today's episode, I'm talking about what counts as reading with one of BPL's most beloved librarians, and I get to interview incredible local comic and graphic novel author Grace Ellis. Enjoy the show. So to talk with me a little bit about why graphic novels and comics are quote-unquote real reading, and to help convince any parents out there with misgivings about, you know, counting graphic novels or comics as real reading, I'm bringing on youth services librarian and youth book expert, Brian Overholt. Thank you for joining me, Brian, to talk about uh, graphic novels and comics. Um, The reason I'm bringing on Brian, our youth services librarian, is because I remember when I worked in youth services... Parents would often, do you get this question a lot? Do they ask you, my kid wants to read a graphic novel, my kid wants to read comics. Can mm-hmm. you please recommend a real book? Yeah, and a lot of times the kids want a graphic novel and the mom or dad or parent or caregiver is like, no, read a real book. And I'm like, well, it is a real book. It just has pictures. <laughs> and so um, how do we? How can we help uh, parents and caregivers kind of get on board with what any librarian, if you walk into a library and you ask for a real book, or if you say, oh, no, I'm cheating because I'm listening to an audiobook," we are always going to say that all reading is created equal. So what can you say to um, parents, caregivers to kind of relay the information that like, actually, comic books and graphic novels are reading? Yes. Research from the University of Oregon found that comic books and graphic novels averaged 53.5 rare or more complex words per 1,000 words. And I wonder, do you think that's because there are just less words? Probably, yeah. So that in order to get the information across, they have to use more complex sentences. Mm-hmm within the little speech bubbles or whatever. Mm-hmm. But, you know, like average children books have 30.9 per thousand and adult books have 52.7. So, so comic books are actually more complex than adult books in some cases. I am pretty new to comics and to graphic novels. And I think we're definitely seeing like extreme growing popularity right. in them and like something I noticed. So I have a background in art history and I thought, oh, this will take me five seconds to read because it's <laughs> mostly pictures. But no, if you stop and you're looking at all of the art, you, I mean, you you can read art just like you read anything else. Sure. And so like looking at all the illustrations, it really, it's like, that's really cool. And that's telling part of the story. And it reminds Reminded me of um, Jan Brett's mm-hmm. work, mm-hmm. the picture books. Yeah. Um, so for our audience, she wrote The Mitten. Um, it was published in 1989. Um, her work is all famous for in the margins or like the frames of the pictures. She'll put kind of like foreshadowing elements in the illustrations. Yeah. And this was a device that like when I was a kid... I learned what foreshadowing was Oh, okay. using those illustrations. And I still think about that. And so that's what I felt, you know, reading Grace Ellis's work in the Lumberjanes and kind of like, oh, wow, she's incorporating like these symbols and then they're showing up throughout or, you know, I I don't know, looking at different like, oh, look in the background, there's going to be like a monster that comes out right, of the forest. Right. 
Yeah. So when uh, when children are looking for books, a lot of times, especially younger readers, are looking for illustrations that they like. So if you hand them a book that's a full page of text, they're going to be overwhelmed and not going to want to read. Yeah. So the more we can encourage reading, the better. So if they're picking up a graphic novel, like Dogman is super popular. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, there's, it's a comic book, but they're reading words still. So mm-hmm. the point is to get them to read something. Mm-hmm. And if they're going to be overwhelmed, overwhelmed by text, graphic novels are a great way to motivate them to read. And then from there, they can go into our other series books that maybe have some illustrations, but mostly text. And that's how they transition into reading novels. Mm -hmm. It's like the gateway book. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Um, We want to create, you know, get a positive experience out of reading. And then, and again, like, I want to just say, you know, interpreting illustrations is a skill all by itself. Um, And it's a skill, you know, not everyone has, but it kind of, you feel... I almost think I can feel my brain different gears working mm-hmm. when I'm looking at those illustrations. And I absolutely have looked at graphic novels that I wouldn't have been, you know, I thought, oh, I won't be interested in this story. But the illustrations are yeah. so compelling that, yeah. you, that you pick them up. So what are some of your favorites? Yeah, my some of my favorites. I uh, really love the Scott Pilgrim series by Brian Lee O'Malley. Because, you're, because of Brian. Uh, you're going to find a theme in my choices. <laughs> There's a lot of Brian's that I've read. <laughs> you exclusively read works I only read Brian. Brian. Yes. Okay, uh, got it. <laughs> <laughs> like Brian K. Vaughn's work on Why the Less Man and Saga. Those series are great. And are those- Brian Posehn's work on Deadpool. <laughs> Brian Michael Bendis's work on X-Men and Spider-Man. Oh and then, you know, you've got uh, Ngozi Ukwazu, who wrote Check, Please. So, way off the board. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, not a Brian. Not a Brian there. And uh, so, which ones of these are, are they all like YA or are some of them? I mean, Deadpool is kind of like an Deadpool any- is definitely, I think they would all be considered at least PG-13. Okay. Uh, <laughs> okay. Check, Please and Scott Pilgrim are maybe more tween teen book there's definitely some you know more mature themes you know check please is about a uh, hockey player who happens to be gay and him going through the whole process of playing on a collegiate team as like you know an openly gay player you know i don't want to spoil too yes, much no, but please. <laughs> he dates another player who makes it to the nhl and there's a whole thing with that player coming out as an nhler and it's a really cool story for scott pilgrim you know it's about a young man you know not a teen, but, you know, probably like a college age mm-hmm. kid. You know, if you've seen the movie, you know a little bit about it. But mm-hmm. he has all these fantasies where he fights against his ex-girlfriend's ex-boyfriends in order to win her heart. And it's a really nice story. But uh, those those would be the most, like, teen-friendly books. The other ones, I would say, are more for older teens or adults. Great. Or, you know, X-Men Spider-Man. Those can be read by anybody. anybody. Yeah, those are your, your superhero ones. For sure. I really enjoyed... Well, so... <laughs> I really haven't read a ton of comics or graphic novels, but the first one I read was The Complete Persepolis mm-hmm. by Marjane Satrapi, um, which is about the Iranian Revolution in the 70s, but it's just all around that. But that's maybe one of the most well-known graphic novels, and it was it was an assignment um, my freshman year in college, um, and that's kind of what opened my eyes. So if you're very skeptical that books with illustrations can be like serious reading, right. I absolutely recommend The Complete Persepolis because you will learn so much about Iranian history 
history and the British involvement and the American involvement in it. And you will no longer think that graphic novels can't be um, serious. And kind of in that vein, the other one that I've really, really enjoyed that's kind of a more serious topic is the Gettysburg Address, <laughs> a graphic <laughs> a- adaptation um, by Aaron McConnell and Jonathan Hennessy. And this does a really wonderful job of kind of tying the American Revolution and how like the way we set up like after the American Revolution, it was like almost inevitable that we would have the Civil War about enslavement. And so um, on the other end of the spectrum from those would be, of course, um, Moonstruck and the Lumberjanes by Grace Ellis. (laughs) Is there anything else you want to add um, about graphic novels, comics, or anything you want to plug from the youth department um, that you want the patrons to know about? Sure. Well, I just wanted to mention quickly that the American Library Association Youth Media Awards that happen every year. Recently, graphic novels have been winning these awards. So as recently as 2020, the Newbery Medal actually went to a graphic novel. So New Kid by Jerry Craft won the Newbery Medal, which is essentially the best narrative book for kids. Wow. Um, So 2020 winner was a graphic novel. That's so if that cool. doesn't convince you that <laughs> right. graphic novels are real books, then mm-hmm. nothing will. <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. And actually in 2017, uh, March by John Lewis won several awards, including the YALSA Nonfiction Award and the Michael J or Michael L. Prince Award for Best Teen Novel. So you're saying that Civil Rights Legend Yes. He wrote a, a graphic novel John Lewis called wrote March. A, wow, yes. wrote a graphic novel. And his uh, third volume in the series won several awards that year in 2017. So, Well, there yes. you have it. There you have There's it. There's the word. <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining me uh, to talk about graphic novels and comics. Thanks for having me. And so, of course, the reason that I pulled Brian on the podcast today to talk about graphic novels and comics as real reading is because I had the pleasure of speaking with author and Columbus resident Grace Ellis. Grace Ellis is a New York Times bestselling comic book author. An Ohio native, she studied theater and journalism at Ohio State University. Her first venture into comics began while she was still in college, creating and writing Lumberjanes, an all-ages story about monster-fighting Girl Scouts. From there, it was on to Moonstruck, which is an adventure romance story about a werewolf barista, followed by several pieces for DC Comics. Flung Out of Space, Grace's first foray into adult comics, is a based-on-a-true-story graphic novel about suspense writer Patricia Highsmith. It will be published by Abrams Books in February 2020. So we're going to go to that interview right now. Hi, Grace. Thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. I've been, we've been looking forward to this podcast for a few months now since it um, got rescheduled, but um, we'll just go ahead and jump right in. So for our listeners who might not be familiar with your work, um, can you describe it and tell us a little bit about what inspires you to tell the stories that you do? Well, I write comic books, um, mostly in the, the YA middle grade space is what I'm like, probably most well known for. They're mostly like girl focused, which used to be like kind of a niche thing in the graphic novel space. But now it's like very widespread. But a lot of like stories about where the the central idea is that women and girls can be anything, basically. And it's they're very fun. They're very fun, very colorful in terms of story and like literally because they're (laughs) comic books. Uh, Yeah. In your bio, we brought up um, both Lumberjanes and Moonstruck, which are, um, you know, as soon as 
our youth department was like, oh, we're going to get um, Grace Ellis to do an author talk. I went and I, I got them from our shelves and I just have loved them. Um, oh, and so <laughs> I think just right off the bat talking about how I think probably your work, especially with Lumberjanes, did expand the space for graphic novels and for comics about girls. I do feel like it would be remiss if I didn't, right off the top, we can talk about windows, mirrors, and sliding glass doors. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> and so for the listeners who are unfamiliar, there is a really well-known essay from Dr. Rundy Sims Bishop, who actually worked at Ohio State, and she's considered sort of the mother of multicultural children's literature. But I'm just going to read a quick quote from her. She says that literature transforms human experience and reflects it back to us. And in that reflection, we can see our own lives and experiences as part of a larger human experience. Reading then becomes a means of self-affirmation and readers often seek mirrors in books. And that is what really stood out to me reading Lumberjanes and Moonstruck and your other work. I was wondering if you could speak a little bit to sort of what propelled you or motivated you to write Lumberjanes. And why did you choose graphic novels and comics as the medium to tell that story? Well, the, the second half of that question is a lot easier. I picked graphic novels because that was the opportunity that was presented to me. Oh, wow. Yeah. Basi- cool. that, that's basically the long and short of that. Although since then, I've like delved a lot more into like what makes the medium work and what are the types of stories that we can get into that later a little bit. But as far as like the, the representation angle goes, I think that there was never a question when we were working on Lumberjanes that it was going to have a diverse cast. It was, wasn't even something we had to talk about as a team um i created lumberjanes with three other people mm-hmm. and we all kind of instinctively were like this is something that's just going to be in here i should also say that i i don't think that having a diverse cast is the beginning and the end of like critique i think that it's one framework and i like to make sure that that's in there because i don't want people to like misunderstand that i think that it's that's the only thing that matters but it is a thing that matters especially when we're talking about women and girls in graphic novels and just in YA in general. I think that especially one of the strengths of graphic novels is that you're visually looking at the characters. Um, So if there's a character that's like gender non-conforming in some way, that's something that you're confronted with over and over again. Um, It's not something that you can like, you read it on the page one time and you can like kind of choose to ignore it, you know? And I'm going to go ahead and interrupt you actually, because I I do think that was one of the most powerful things for me. So I'm 29 and I'm reading Lumberjanes for the first time and I'm looking at it and every single page I'm and I'm not speaking hyperbolically. I'm like, this book would have changed my life if I had had it as a youth, (laughs) you know, as a youth, because I was trying to think of what other books did I have when that I was reading, you know, like Babysitter's Club. I was like one (laughs) of the only books that I could think of that had a group of girls. But then you present us with a group of girls and they's. It's both revolutionary and so just day to day at the same time, which is what made it so powerful, I think. There's no question about it. There's no discussion. It's this is a a group of diverse girls and they's. That's just how it is because that's how the world is. And to see that reflected so just like here it is was so powerful. And I I can't. (laughs) Well, and and I'm I'm 100. Like, I cannot think of of something that I had as a youth that showed that. And I think seeing like you're saying, seeing those characters in every single panel you know or every other panel or whatever it is really like shows especially gender expression in a way that certainly you know growing up in the suburbs like I would have I just had no even concept and so I think like just 
showing those again, those mirrors, those windows, like it's so powerful. So, uh, I have so, so thank many, you. I have so many things to say. <laughs> Please, yes. But, but first, I want to say that I think it's so funny that you bring up the Babysitters Club because oh, yeah. Shannon Waters and I, um, who is one of the other co-creators, that was one of the things when we were before we did Lumberjanes, we would talk about Babysitters Club all the time, just because it's just so it's so fundamental. Yes, you know? it, it is. It's like and it's it, hard to explain to someone who like wasn't growing mm-hmm. up in the middle of that how yes. fundamental that was. It was fundamental, and it was also so aside. So setting aside the giant piece of like gender representation and like a lot of the character well sexual and gender representation period setting that aside there's also the dynamic of the group is yeah. so positive and powerful and like that's what i experienced as a girl growing totally. up was a group of girls who loved each other and supported each other and yes there was like your teenage girl stuff but there's a diverse group of friends and it's not just like one girl right. on the quest. It's a group. And so to see that, I was like, yes, <laughs> there's six main characters who are girls and theys, um, which was the only – the Babysitter's Club was the only thing I could think of. Right, right. And I think that says a lot that that's the only thing that you could think of because that's kind of the only thing I can think of too. I, mm-hmm. I did love Christy though. Of course, yes. I mean, Cla- I think on. Claudia was my favorite. You know, I could definitely see that. <laughs> okay. So past the Babysitter's Club. Okay. So authors often do talk about the price, the process of writing being a very lonely one because a lot of the work is done in solitude um, until later on in the process. But you've mentioned already that you've worked collaboratively um, with multiple authors on a couple of the projects, um, Lumberjanes included. Is that correct? Yes. And yeah. then um, definitely, obviously, with illustrators um, to yes. illustrate the work. Um, so do you work pretty closely with them through the whole process? Um, is it challenging at all to watch your words be translated into images? How do those relationships work? And what's what's that experience like? Well, I think it, it varies heavily from project to project how closely together I work with an artist. I prefer to work like very, very closely with I have a I have a book coming out in February. And for that book, the illustrator and I, I mean, we were in contact like every single day, just because of I don't know, it's it's kind of it's just it's a very very collaborative process and what i mean by that is like there's a lot of like checking in to make sure that my idea is the best idea almost always the artwork ends up being better than i pictured it and i always put a note at the beginning of my scripts because comic books are written in script form they're a lot like oh. a, a screenplay yeah it's it's pretty it's pretty cool i always put a note at the top that says that everything in the script is a suggestion it's just like the the closest that I can come to describing what I imagine the best way of telling the story will be. It's the beginning of a conversation. That's so interesting. So I was going to ask too about, so I'm, I'm very new to comic books and graphic novels and all of yeah. it. So I did want to bring up that you have written a play holding it together about high schoolers attending a football game. And yeah. it premiered <laughs> last March, actually, at the Gahanna Lincoln High School. And you studied theater. Your background is in theater. So how you, you mentioned that the process of writing the comic is a script. Is that similar to writing a play? Is that do you find that like laying things out visually is similar? Are those mutable skills? Like did your does your theater background kind of come into how you're writing? Yeah, I think it does. I think my because my background is in theater, I think that I have a different approach to writing comic scripts from a lot of comics folk who have like just done comics. There are definitely some key differences between them. Don't get me wrong. I mean, thinking when you write a comic script, you're describing each panel and what goes in each panel one at a time. Uh, Writing a play script is much more fluid. It's more about the rhythm of the dialogue as 
opposed to like the visual rhythm on the page. Um, I would say that a comic script is a lot more um, fussy in that way. But at the same time, I think that having worked in another medium like that, but still, still a script, but in another medium means that I am thinking more about what, how I can use comics as a medium. And it, it definitely, that definitely goes both ways now. And I'm thinking more about like plays as a medium and what kinds of stories make the most sense in a play or whatever. Like, what is it about a, a comic book that works, you know, with this story? But, you know, we at the library, we often like to remind parents gently that graphic novels, like any reading is reading. Audiobooks yes. are reading. Graphic novels are reading. Comics are reading. Oh, I um, love that you said audiobooks are reading. I I love audiobooks and I always feel Absolutely. like I'm cheating, but that's great. <laughs> you can just remember like, you know, sometimes people will be like, well, it's it's cheating. I don't know. And I'm like, are people who can't see cheating if they listen to an audiobook? And they're like, oh, you're right. Great you know, point. so great, great point. point. <laughs> so uh, anyway, so audiobooks are reading. Do you find that when you're working, you know, you said you were thinking about the sort of the medium as you're writing the script. And I think people w w might assume and maybe it's true, but I I have a feeling it's not that writing, um, you know, because there are less words in a graphic novel than, for instance, in a novel. Um, but do you find that maybe just as hard or even harder because you're limited in the number of words? I know that people who are coming from prose find it harder, but I think that my writing style, even when I'm writing prose, is very, very straightforward. Like my natural writing style is mm -hmm. really straightforward. So I yeah. find it like I think it's a very natural fit in that way. That's wonderful. And do you think about how the illustrations can, you know, you're like, okay, I'm going to use four words here because the illustration is going to help tell oh, for that. sure yeah yeah I mean if you can if you can have the the illustration say something then definitely I will not I think that a lot of a lot of comics writers feel compelled to write a lot of like caption boxes oh. which is like the squares a square yeah. box is like a narration that's out of time with the rest of the comic and I think that a lot of comics writers use them I don't want to say a crutch because I don't want to call anyone out. I think that a lot of a lot of people will use them because they feel like they should be writing more and they feel like if I want to like make sure my fingerprints are on this, I have to make sure that there are a lot of words for people to read. But I think I think that as long as you're telling the story in the best way you can, then I don't think that that is something you should feel compelled to do. It's also like a real a real shortcut narratively, <laughs> you know, because yeah. it's like I don't I don't have to like worry about describing what this character is feeling if I can just tell you what they're feeling. It almost yeah, exactly. It almost reminds me of like if you're writing a paper for school and you're like, I'll just put a footnote about that, you know, or like, yeah, yeah, I'll exactly. just put a footnote or I'll just in parentheses, you know, which yeah. is fine because it's, you know, a paper for school. So according to the internet, no. <laughs> um, it has grown. Uh, no, it seems like it was quite the process to get Lumberjanes to the silver screen. Uh, yeah, so if anyone wants to like Google about that, but there is still an HBO Max um, movie and a planned yes. spinoff animated TV series, which seems extremely cool. Yes. Um, are you involved at all in that, or like not as heavily, not as heavily as other members of our team? Uh, Noel Stevenson, who you might know as the showrunner for Shira on Netflix, 
is one of the Lumberjanes co-creators, and she is running the show, basically. Oh my gosh. Oh. Um, yeah. I am, and so are the other creators. We're like, I, I forget exactly what we are, but we're, we have some creative influence, but this is, it's definitely Noelle's show. And it's, I think that we can all feel really good about where this is going. <laughs> I think you can feel really good about having a uh-huh. movie and TV show of your work. That is so I'm, cool. I'm doing my best. I'm, I'm trying to feel good about what I've done, you know? <laughs> yeah. Oh, and you should because that is so cool. I was so excited to see that it was going to be um, – I mean, I don't know why I thought it wouldn't be animated, but – I mean, it, but it wasn't. It wasn't going to be. Oh, that's animated right. For a no, while. It, yeah, that's yeah. right. So, okay, yeah. And know. then when, because so then when it switched, I guess when it switched, that's why I was like, oh, that'll be even better because right. it can be so similar and and yeah, yeah, that that seems really wonderful. So as I said before, I didn't grow up with comics. Do you? But that's. I mean, that's that's just who we are. You know, comics wasn't as big of a thing when we're we're like the same age. It it was comics were not as big of a thing when we were kids. No, you know? it, I read like the Sunday strips and that was basically it yes you know <laughs> I did as well um no and it totally so it's it's really cool that I think that they're becoming so mainstream and and graphic novels have become so expansive the first graphic novel I ever read actually was um the complete Persepolis but it was actually assigned to me as a freshman at Kent State as our like all the freshmen read this book yeah and that's cool. it was amazing so I recommend it to anyone because it's it's a great digestible um history of the Iranian revolution in the 1970s <laughs> Um, anyway, but that really was like eye opening for me to see how awesome graphic novels can be. But I do, I saw that you had written a real life Batwoman story for yeah. DC Comics, which I feel like has to be a pretty big deal <laughs> to write yeah. a, a like real Batwoman story. What was it like to write for a shop like that? Do they have like, do you have parameters? How do they, do they give you the story first? And then also... I noted that there was a rainbow flag on the cover. Yeah. And so I was wondering, like, is Batwoman officially gay now? Like, is that... Oh, she super is. Yeah. Oh, great. That's not, okay, that perfect. was not me. Don't worry. Oh, that yeah, was yeah, not yeah. you. Oh, great. Okay, see, I don't know anything about Batwoman. <laughs> Tell us, like, what it was like to write Batwoman. Well, okay. So I first started working with DC when I did a Lois Lane YA graphic novel. Yeah, so that's, that's how I, I like got to know them and then I'm, okay. once once you're on your their rolodex you just kind of are always on call in a way like the bat phone i'll, I'll yeah. take it it's exactly like the bat phone <laughs> um so my bat phone rang and they were like do you want to do batwoman and i was like yes what kind of question is that of course i do when is the deadline is it tomorrow i'll make it work you know the reason it has a rainbow flag on the cover is because it's it was part of their like june pride release but it, it's basically like come up with some pitches that include Batwoman. It's going to be 30 pages and like digital first, which means that they'll publish it digitally like a week before or like weekly. And then when it's all out digitally, it'll come out as a hard copy. And that's important because you have to think about like not just how many pages, but like where the additional breaks are. So if yeah. you read it every 10 pages, if there's kind of a big cliffhanger. Yeah. It's because it came out digitally first. That's fascinating. Yeah, right? It's it's wild. Huh. Um, and you can always tell when you're reading a comic if it came out digitally first, but it's... Because it's like to the next page, it's just a giant... Uh, it's like a very significant <laughs> cliffhanger. <laughs> so I came up with three pitches, sent them in, they picked the one they liked, and then I just like went to town on it. Can you give us a little taste of what your Batwoman story is? Yeah, it's okay. So I'll I'll walk you through my thought process a little. Mm -hmm. I was like, okay, so what? Who is Batwoman? 
she's basically Batman, but as a woman, frankly, you mm-hmm. know? Absolutely. So, but, but what makes her different from Batman? Well, she's got this like very tangled romantic past in a way that his isn't tangled really. She's not as tied to Gotham in the same way. She was mm-hmm. in the military and got kicked out from Don't Ask, Don't Tell super interesting so i was like okay how can i like make my mark on batwoman in 30 pages that's not a ton of runway here so i suggested that we take her out of gotham because of her like military background she's less of like gotham's protector more of like an america sort of deal um where would she be like on her back foot the whole time uh appalachia that's like an area that i'm familiar with you know i can't think of anything further away from gotham yeah you know the rolling hills so you're telling me that batwoman is in appalachia in this story yeah oh my god everyone go read this comic immediately so she like she's she's like just trying to get out of the city because she's like not doing very well like mentally this, I wrote this in the middle of the pandemic, and yeah. I was like, what's it like to be not doing very well mentally? Uh, <laughs> have to reach so far. Yeah, who knows? Yeah. Um, yeah, so she just, like, runs into um, the Mothman and can't resist going after the Mothman. Nice. That's, that's what the Batwoman story what is about. What a good story. Thank you. Good on DC. I'm literally like, oh, for the first time in my life, I'm interested in reading uh, DC A comic. superhero? Yeah, I yeah. get that. <laughs> I mean, wow, that there are, sounds There really are a couple awesome. good ones. I'm sure there that's, are, That's, yeah. like, I'm, not very nice of me to say. It, it, well, no, I right. I mean, it's me. I I started that. I'm sure there are wonderful. I just yeah, it just hadn't been something that you know. Wow, Superman smashes the clan. That's a great one. It's yes. a new one. See, it's really there good. Are, yeah. there are a ton. Let me see. Oh, I'm just thinking about Batwoman now. Ah, it's it's an easy easy trap to fall into. <laughs> oh, um, as you were talking, kind of, you know, it's not a lot of runway. This 30 pages. Do you find I'm gonna I'm gonna say like the limitations, but again with the the number of words and even with something like Batwoman, do you find that I don't know? Sometimes I find that creativity can really be helped by structure and constraint do you find that it's like okay i have this 30 pages and like that really fires up how we solve the problem yes i think that's exactly how i would describe it too solving the problem i mean whenever i get really stuck people have a lot of feelings about save the cat style structure can you explain that a little bit if yeah yeah. (laughs) for sure yeah save the cat is basically like this theory that all movies and in a way all stories are they have the same beats in approximately the same place And I think that the problem is that people get to, they treat it like a rule Mm. that you have to follow. Mm -hmm. Um, But I find that when I get stuck, if I look at the Save the Cat beat sheet, I can usually figure out where I'm going wrong. That's an awesome tool. Yeah. And so and so as far as I so I listened to another podcast um, called How Did This Get Made? Yeah, and it's it's very funny. And it's just about really bad movies. And so and comedians do it. But they talk about the save the cat moment. And is it kind of like the save the cat comes from the term of where you see the humanity like in your hero, because at the very beginning, they save a cat. Yeah. Like from a tree, I think right. is kind of the the setup for that. Well, that and that's great advice, I think, for anyone listening to the podcast who is a writer or creative of any kind, and they're trying to tell a story that can be a great device to kind of help you through that writer's block. For sure. Okay, so, well, so you put Batwoman in Appalachia. Um, so yeah. <laughs> I was going to ask about your Ohio background and kind of how does it, like, does it influence um, your stories at all um, and the way you tell them? Do you feel that Columbus is a great place to live as a writer? You know, we have a lot of writers here. Um, do you feel that it sort of influences you at all? I mean, for sure. I I mean, I probably wouldn't put Batwoman in Appalachia. Um, but I'm from, I'm from Northern Ohio. I'm from Sandusky, like right, like right on the lake. But I mean, the, the world of Moonstruck, for example, is basically just Columbus. But if we had 
yeah. werewolves and stuff. <laughs> yes. uh, it's just like a very, very college town. Mm-hmm. I really, I really love living here. I like the Midwest and I like, you know, with all of this TV and movie stuff happening, I, I do get asked, like, why don't I move to L.A.? And I can't think of any place I'd like to live less than L.A., to be honest. <laughs> I just I, I like being in the Midwest. I'm like a Midwestern person. And I mm-hmm. think that if you're a writer, especially you should want to live not where all of the other writers live, because it does give you a different perspective. And you're thinking about different stories and meeting different kinds of people. Yeah. You know? So I, I find living here very valuable as a writer. Wow. That's a wonderful perspective. I feel like you and Hanifa Durakeeb are going to start a yeah. club that's like, yes. we are not moving to New York. <laughs> I would love that. <laughs> <laughs> and like Saeed Jones, I think, still lives here. So, I mean, there's a bunch. We're all, we're all hanging out. Yeah. We're, we're not. We, <laughs> they, are, they are too cool for me. And that's the truth. <laughs> so as we start to wrap up, can you tell us about Patricia Highsmith? Oh, my God. Yes. <laughs> so um, as I understand it, is that your um, book that's coming out in February? Yes. Okay, awesome. And so pretty much all I know about it is that it's going to be a work for adults. Yes. um, And that Patricia (laughs) Highsmith is an icon. So please take it away. Patricia Highsmith. Okay, she's an author. You probably know her from her suspense work, Strangers on a Train, The Talented Mr. Ripley, etc. But she also wrote this other book, The Price of Salt, also known as Carol, uh, which became the movie Carol, eventually, starring Kate Blanchett and Rooney Mara. So this is a book about how Patricia Highsmith, despite all of that stuff, worked in comics. Before she was a notable author, Patricia Highsmith worked as a comic book writer, and that is the God's honest truth. And she really hated it to the point where she literally burned all evidence of her ties to the comics community, set them on fire and said, no. Yep. And so you are memorializing her in a... In a comic book, which is what she deserves. She was a terrible, (laughs) terrible person. So you know what? It's fine. If we can like tweak her nose a little bit with that, I think that's fine. So what did she write? Or what's... Well, tell us about... um, So she's a horrible person. Yeah. It's a comic for adults or a graphic Mm -hmm. novel for adults. What what do we... Like, what is the story about? Oh, man. Okay. So I'm trying to decide how much to tell you without ruining yeah, it. Yeah, no spoilers. Oh god, no spoilers. It's about little spoilers. Okay. Like a like a tease. It's it's about how she came to write The Price of Salt and what that process was. The Price of Salt is like a very notable piece of lesbian fiction. It's like foundational, it's beloved. Patricia Highsmith signed herself up for conversion therapy and in order to pay for conversion therapy took a job at Bloomingdale's over Christmas. And if you're familiar with The Price of Salt, you know that it starts out with the main character working at the counter at Bloomingdale's over Christmas, because that's the moment that inspired her to write The Price of Salt. So that's like the crux of it. That was that was what, the moment that propelled me to write the rest of it, because that's so wild. I, n- I have never read The Price of Salt, but I have seen Carol. Yeah, I mean, you, you get the gist of it. Right. The Price of Salt, I find it so embarrassing to read because it's so personal to her. Wow. She's she's got a lot of like mommy issues basically and they're all just like very clear on the page. It feels it feels like reading someone's diary in a way. It's basically like she started with this moment where she had a real encounter with this like very beautiful woman and then just kind of like imagined what could have happened. Um, and that's what that's what Carol is. 
Oof. Okay, well, I think um, I will enjoy Flung Out of Space, The Indecent Adventures of Patricia Highsmith. Well, I'm very excited for that. And it comes out in February? In February from Abrams Books. Um, all right. And so lastly, um, I like to ask all of our guests, what are you reading, watching, listening to, or playing right now that you want to talk about? I'm so glad you asked. I've been thinking about this for so long. So I have two for you. I could only narrow it down to two. So the first one is, I just read this last week, but it came out in 2017. It's called 17776. I would describe it as a multimedia book. You have to read it on a computer because it's not like optimized for mobile. Um, it's oh. on SB Nation. It's also called The Future of Football. So 17776. It's very weird. But if you like speculative fiction, then you will like it. Um, it has very little to do with football, actually. And I love it. Uh, and that's by um, John Boys, B-O-I-S. Yeah, he's great. But it's it's good. Okay, so my, my other recommendation is Red Dead Redemption 2, which you can get from the library, actually. Um, it's available for Xbox One through the Columbus Library System. And I double-checked that. So that's Red Dead Redemption 2. We could spend another hour talking about how much I love just that. I may have just come up with another podcast idea because this you are the second author that I've talked to this year who is really obsessed with Red Dead Redemption 2. And the other person is um, Alyssa Washuda. I don't know if you're familiar with her work, but she um, just wrote a memoir and I'm looking, oh, it's called uh, White Magic by Alyssa Washuda. And we had her here. She's a professor at Ohio State. And one of her chapters is about in this memoir is about Red yes. Dead Redemption. I, I just wrote it down. I, I believe that so much. It's just like such a masterpiece of storytelling and talk about like using the medium well. Holy crap. Oh my god. <laughs> I wonder if these video game like people know that there are authors out here just raving about they, their they work. Have that to. is so cool. They have to know. That's it's awesome. I've got I've got to try it. It's now. you you will love it. It's just it's incredible. Weirdly like surprisingly feminist too, I would say. That's great. All right. Well, thank you for sharing. Is there anything else that um, you'd like our listeners to know about or that you'd like to plug? Do you have like a newsletter, Instagram, anything like that? I think I I feel I feel good about this interview, okay. and I hope you do great. too. <laughs> oh, I <laughs> I feel great about it. Nice. And our listeners better feel great about it. Well, thank you so much um, for taking the time to talk to me today. This was awesome. Thank you so much for your work. Thank you for tuning into the BPL podcast today. Again, I'm your host, Leanne. We hope you enjoyed. I've been speaking with Columbus author Grace Ellis. Follow Grace Ellis on Twitter and Instagram at Grace C. Ellis, E-L-L-I-S. If you liked what you heard, please help us grow by telling a friend. Rate us five stars and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Email me with your comments, questions, and suggestions at podcast at bexleylibrary.org. And Grace herself actually had a great suggestion, and we will hopefully be interviewing uh, the person that she suggested in a few weeks. Um, so I do take your suggestions to heart. Please send me an email, podcast at bexleylibrary.org. Find out about upcoming Bexley Public Library events at bexleylibrary.org. Follow Bexley Public Library across platforms at Bexley Library. Thanks for listening.